Foul evil to the right hand. Puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 10-1-9-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-1-
just over a week. And we didn't do a podcast episode last week. I took the week off. I kind of shut things down. We've talked a lot on this show about addiction, mental health, overdose, suicide. And obviously you heard it there in the intro video. I've lost a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people that I've met in my life over the years of my own struggles to overdose and suicide. But this past week or 10 days ago, I lost somebody very, very close to me. One of my best friends growing up, Justin Monez, a guy that I've known for longer than I can remember. And we spent a lot of time together. We struggled a lot together. We used a lot together. And uh, I got the I got the call and I'm still in disbelief. He was in recovery for two years. And I'm not sure why he made the choice to go back out, but that choice cost him his life. And it's been a really, really tough week for me. A lot of reflecting. My heart is broken. I want to send my deepest condolences to his family, his mom Janice, his dad Carlos, and everyone else who's feeling this immense loss. He's back in BC, and I'm hoping to get home for the funeral. Um, but this is one that's going to stick with me for a long, long time, and I'm not sure how how to manage it all. But I will say that if you're listening or if you're watching this and if you're in recovery, just stay here. Please just stay here. Just don't pick up for today. That's all I want to say on that. Just in this podcast episode is is in memory of, of you and I love you, man. And yeah, I could talk about this all day, but I just, I want to dedicate this episode to Justin. Without further ado, though, let's, uh, let's get into this episode. This is one that I'm, like I said, beyond pumped for. When you talk about taking pain and turning it into purpose, I'm not sure anybody's done it better than Nathan Harmon. A lot of people probably follow him on social media at Nathan Harmon one. He's one of the most sought after motivational speakers across the United States. And obviously that's something close to my heart. That's what I'm doing up here in Canada. And when I watch him, the way that he captivates, I'm sure people in the audience, but even to do it through videos is just nothing short of amazing. And I think there's a lot we can learn from him. So without further ado, let's, let's do it. Let's bring him in. Nate, what's up, buddy? Hey brother, how are you? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks for asking. It's uh, I'm doing better, but this, as you just heard, it's been a a pretty tough, pretty tough week. And I know there's a lot of people that listen and watch this show who have lost loved ones, especially to overdose in the last number of years. We are living in an absolute epidemic, uh, certainly in the United States and Canada. And I just, yeah, it's been tough. But thanks for asking. Other than that, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good man, I just you know watching watching the intro video and your journey, um, and even where you sit today, you know, uh, man, it's uh, it's the reality that we do recover, you know, and that we can we can stare that thing face to face and 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 learn to to take some some authority over our choices and and try to like you said make make pain purpose and just watching your journey and and kind of getting to, to watch some of your, your, your work and what you're doing. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's admirable. And I'm just as excited to get a kick, kick this back and forth with you and to chat. And, uh, you know, when we think about <clears throat> overdoses and suicide, 
I'm with you, man. There's, there's too many people that I love and I know um, that has made forever decisions that aren't here and also made forever decisions when it comes to using. And um, it's uh, such a it's such an emotional roller coaster in this space, you know. Uh, it's, it's a bunch. It's a mixed bag. I really do. Just, um, I agree with you. And um, I'm, I'm a few week in a few weeks. I, I have a few a few different lectures, um, and I go to Missouri and, and a couple students um, overdosed. And I'm getting brought in to come spend kind of spend time with that community. And down in Texas, some 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 students had taken their life. Um, suicide it's it's uh man it's, it's the, the work we do the work anyone does right even if you're not on stages even if you're not um you know doing it on a on a more uh corporate setting you know just being someone that that's uh, has ears to hear and and it's willing to you know listen to, to their friends and to check in and you know I always say it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to let our friends stay that way um and we can't Ooh, I like I like that. I've never I've never heard that one before. That's uh that is that's powerful. Wow. Sorry to cut you off, but that is because we hear that all the time. I you know I have a shirt that in our my clothing line that says you know essentially just that. But it's such a great point. It is okay to be not okay, or you know it's not to be okay. I say it the other way, but it's not okay to let our friends stay that way. That's yeah. incredible. And, and, you know, you can't make anyone change, but you can continue to build bridges and, and to be just a, a voice of hope and encouragement and uh, just love, love people through it. So anyways, I, I am, I'm honored to get to hang out with you here tonight. And man, as much as you're in and you know, about me to talk, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get to know more of your journey and stuff too, as we kind of just kick this thing around. But yeah. It's it's been a journey for me. Um, I'm actually in New York right now. I'm at some schools here tomorrow and, and the next day, and um, just just on the wall, on the wall when it comes to uh, giving hope and I think helping people find their why. I, I mm. think I think when I think of mental health and substance abuse um, and addiction, I think that they're they're so at least for me, and I know there'll be you know probably smarter people than I that can have some schematics of words and stuff. But to me, they're so interconnected, you know, mental health and substance abuse. It's, they come from the same, the same place. And I, and I always call it walking wounded. You know, there's a lot of wounds that we deal with that we, we struggle to be vulnerable and to be transparent. And, you know, in this place of um, just trying to be a voice and helping people find their why, um, it's been a, a neat ride, a humbling ride, um, a ride that came through a lot of pain of my own, uh, a ride that caused a lot of pain to other people. Um, you know, uh, there's, do you, mind, Nate, do you, do you mind uh, just sharing? I know this is what yeah. you, you do it all the time, man. And, um, I, I just think if we could let, a just a little bit of your story of how you got to where you're at today. Um, I know it's not, it's not easy to tell, I'm sure. Um, but I think it, it really puts things into perspective and it's just such a, it's such a powerful story of what you've been able to do with such, with such great pain. Yeah. So, um, basically, you know, my, as a kid growing up, you know, well, first off, I'm 13 and a half years currently around that, around then. So I've been 13 and a half years. <laughs> 
Yeah, and uh, 13 and a half years pretty much clear of the mental and emotional, you know, the suicide ideation and the real place of where, you know, it was a real option in my life. Um, but getting to that place, you know, um, I'm 37 now, so 13 and a half years would have taken me back to when I was 23. Um, but that was when rock bottom hit rock bottom. But getting to that place of rock bottom, um, you know, I came, I'm an Indiana kid born in the Midwest here in the United States. And my, my mom and my dad um, uh, got divorced when I was probably 11 years old around then. Um, but it was a real, it, was a, it rocked me because I was in a really naive place. And I think my parents did, they thought they were doing right um, by protecting me from a lot of the family problems that they had, um, you know, things that probably weren't really my business. And um, they were trying to shelter me, I would say. Motives were right, but, you know, it, it ended abruptly because around that time they set me and my sister down and they talked about a divorce and, uh, Within a few weeks, my father was kind of removed from the story. You know, there was still the weekend stuff and every other week, you know, some of the, the visitation stuff. But it wasn't the same. And that really didn't last. Um, and it's from that moment that I really began just to, to slowly spiral out of control. Uh, I developed some coping habits and skills of isolation and, and minimalization and not talking. You know, I always tell, I always tell people that, you know, resiliency is part of our DNA but it's activated by talking. Um, and when we have our trust been broken and we've been abandoned and, and we feel these certain ways, talking's not the easiest thing to do. You know, being transparent and being vulnerable isn't easy at all. You actually, you know, you kind of reverse engineer that thing and you start pushing people away and you can kind of tread water and you can maintain for a while. Um, but, we long for human connection. And um, when we don't have that, I think that core inside of you that longs to want to connect, it begins to, to find different ways to escape. And um, that pressure came out with me um, through high school. Um, I, I was a freshman year, you know, I maintained and was able to kind of tread water from that 11, 12 year old up to about 15. But then at 15, everything just kind of snowballed pretty quick. Uh, that's when I really started battling a lot of my mental health when it came to suicidal ideation and um, some anxieties and depressions. But I always say it wasn't the fact that I wanted to die, honestly. I just didn't want to deal. You know, I didn't know how to do conflict resolution, I didn't know how to deal um, with life on life's terms when it came to. Uh, just painful moments, right? Like your parents feeling like um, my my perspective was my dad kind of abandoned me, and you know I didn't. In the middle of it, you don't have the you don't have the awareness to zoom out and realize like my dad didn't leave my story because he wanted to destroy or hurt me. He had his own struggles, his own mental and emotional health, his own substance abuse. He had his own stuff, right? Um, but I didn't want to hear that. I'm I'm. 15 year old 14 year old kid and i feel like it was my fault and you 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 bear some guilt and shame what could i do different you know? and so at about 15 though is when a lot of things finally just crumbled down i i, I was suicidal um i changed a lot of peer friend groups because 
you start looking for purpose and worth and value from other people and you start compromising who you are to fit in with, you know, uh, crowds and clicks and, and trying to be culturally revel- relevant and stuff. So uh, it was then did the suicidal ideation, um, the trauma, some of the abuses, um, as well as my sophomore year in high school, that friend group said, hey, let's go out and party. Let's pop the pill. Let's take the drink. And and let's let's begin that, you know, this extracurricular activities. Um, and, and I did. And my sophomore year, nothing bad happened at first, but slowly over time, uh, man, it just it went spiraling out of control. And there's some before and after pictures on our medias that people can see. Man, I, I'm at 18 years old. I'm, I'm pretty much a dead man walking. Um, I always say don't feed the bear um, because when you first start popping pills and taking drinks and stuff, it's like a little cute bear cub. Bear cubs are cute and cuddly. If you knew mama bear wasn't around and that like she wouldn't kill you, the bear cub's cute, <laughs> right? But the problem is when you feed it and that thing grows up, that grizzly bear is not cute and it's not cuddly. And now you have to feed it because if you don't feed it, it'll kill you. Um, and that was kind of my relationship that really began to happen with substance abuse, alcohol and pills, you name it. Uh, I pretty much have attempted and tried it. Um, I, I never, um, never did the, the intravenously. That was the one space that I never got to. Um, and not because I don't think that I wouldn't have got to it. I think just uh, other things happen that now I'll share a little bit about my wreck and some of the things that happened in my life that just kind of stopped me in my tracks. But um, yeah, the, the drugs really began to become a coping mechanism. Uh, I, I say a lot of times that they're, they're counterfeit connections, you mm-hmm. know, Hurting people hurt people, right? Sometimes we step on people with our words and our attitudes and we act up and we act out. But really, it's because we long to feel like, you know, we're we're seen, we're sought and, and that we're not just invisible, but we don't know how to express emotions. So sometimes hurting people hurt people or, you know, we develop other negative coping skills when it comes to, you know, I'd see a lot of a lot of younger adults navigating self-injury and self-harm, you know, to flip pain on themselves, trying to alleviate this internal turmoil, but not knowing or realizing that they can do it afraid and, and, and communicating. But substance abuse to me is the ultimate counterfeit connection because mm-hmm. um, it gave me a sense of community when I started popping the pills and taking the drinks. Um, I had a a sense of camaraderie with another group of people, but you never have to let them in. You you share the habit, you share kind of the cultural environment. So you get this sense of community, but yet you're never really having to be vulnerable or be transparent and really address, you know, that one that's looking back at you in the mirror, um, yourself and your hurts and your traumas and your wounds. And so you develop this unhealthy relationship with substance abuse that masks and band-aids it at first, but then it becomes a grizzly bear that you have to keep feeding it because then it will kill you. And then you're also developing these counterfeit connections where it seems like you're getting the, the community that you want, but yet it's so surface. I always say it's like a stone that skips across the top of the water. It never has any depth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was in that vicious cycle for, um, all the way up from about 14 to 23 years old. I went from straight A's to straight F's. I went from being a young man that was uh, thriving in school and sports. Um, but it just all kind of comes spiraling out, out of control. 
Um, I didn't graduate. I got kicked out my senior year. Um, I, I got kicked out of my mom's house because, again, I think a lot of times a lot of us only get involved in substance abuse and addictions and alcoholisms and these 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 coping skills and these destructive mentalities, you start making decisions that you wouldn't normally make, right? So you start stealing from people. And, and, and I was never a thief really when I was sober or a younger, kind of more innocent kid. Um, I had more, I think, a better virtue system and characters and characteristics, but you start compromising. And when you begin to compromise, one thing leads to another and you'll start making decisions that's not normally part of your DNA. And that was me. Uh, to be honest, part of that journey, too, was there, there's always been this faith element in my life. I was raised kind of uh, my dad was was a pastor and and, and then kind of doing some, you know, a lot of some church things. And so when the divorce happened, like any belief in anything like missed me with all of that, you know, that that my ex experience was was very jaded from any of that. Um, and so that was very much shelved as well. And so uh, I was kind of just this buoy out in the ocean going wherever life would take me in the winds. Um, and, also, and it, can, it can take you to some pretty dark places very quickly. Yeah. 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 Um, and just to give you a little bit more of the snapshot and then, yeah, it, cut me off and say anything. No, 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 please keep going. But for me, you know, at 23, I, I got kicked out my senior year and uh, just, Man, talk about years of hopelessness, years of, of feeling, you know, my early 20s, you just begin to believe the reality that it is what it is. You get yourself so dug deep into, you know, just brokenness and hopelessness. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of amazing people that really have the dog and the fight that they want to fight and they want to they want to begin to make a stand. But when you look at the wave of of hurt and trauma and just when you look of when you have those sober moments of where you currently are, it can seem too perilous to, to overcome it. So we just keep on ripping and running. We might as well rock it till the wheels falls off. Right. Because it is what it is. And that was my cycle. Uh, and ultimately, it, it ended. It ended in a way that. That it, it, um, it's really one of my whys. Uh, July seventeenth, two thousand nine, I was in a really bad accident. Um, a bunch of my friends went to a party. Uh, here I am, twenty three, living in my hometown, kind of going nowhere fast. Just it is what it is. Um, and so I was just doing what I normally do, you know, uh, hang out with my buddies and we drink and we party and you know, cash a little checks that I was able to keep a little job and and uh, just that was my. My little vicious circle and this this night was different though i had went to a party with some friends and we then went to the bar i was 23 i was legal age to drink and um <clears throat> when the, the night was ending we were going to go to another party an after party um and so i got on the phone um because i was going to drive i was i was too drunk to drive and i didn't have a license at the time i think i had already gotten a dui and lost my license to be honest um, and so they said, Hey, we're going to go to a party. You want to come Nate? And I said, yep, but I'm not going to drive. So I, I, I called a friend of mine, Priscilla, um, Priscilla Owens. She had moved from Alabama a few months previous, um, to this night and she wasn't there and, and 
she had befriended a group of us and and I said, hey, Priscilla, can you come get me? I need a ride to, to T's house. And she said she'd be there. And she showed up a little while later. And um, once she arrived, I bought a case of beer to take to the after party. And somewhere in the process of leaving the bar and getting to the car, uh, I got the keys. Um, still today, don't know how or why. Um, but she allowed me to get the keys. Um, I don't know if she, I just don't know the trans, I don't know how. I know she had moved from Alabama. And so a few previous times, you know, she would always ask if anybody else wanted to drive because we knew the areas better, I'm guessing. And I don't know if this time I was so drunk that I thought I was Captain America and give me the keys, I'm cool. I, I don't know what happened, but um, I know we didn't make it to the party. And we were right around the corner from our destination and I always, I can see her face and hear her voice. And she just simply said the word tree. And, um, I was in a helicopter and I woke up in a hospital bed with police officers over top of me, asking me questions. Uh, her cell phone was locked and her ID wasn't in her purse and she was fighting for her life. And it wasn't until I woke up and, I said, you know, her name's Priscilla, Priscilla Owens, when they were asking me who and where. And, um, you know, that moment, uh, disbelief, my ankle was broke. I'm, I'm confused, trying to process, you know, I was just in my brain. I was just at a party and what just happened. And <clears throat> my mama had showed up in the, in, the, in the hospital room when I woke up, I guess, and they didn't arrest me after that. I kind of, you know, said her name's Priscilla and, and where she was living at. And uh, they wouldn't tell me too much. But she, They let me know that she was still alive. Um, but they released me and they let my mom and I know that they'd be in contact with me soon. Um, still today, I don't know if it was because my ankle was broke and they were trying to figure out, like, what, how to pay, what, what the billing side. I don't know. But honestly, I think it was more of them trying to figure out what was happening as they were gathering the just the intel and what kind of crime when they were going to charge me with and what was happening with Priscilla. And they just told my mom and I they'd be in contact with me. And so I remember getting into the car and my mom kind of knowing more what happened because my sister was a nurse um, of the hospital I got lifelined out of. And so we didn't know the exact details, but we just, she began to let me know that my life was going to change and that um, there's a lot of trauma and that <clears throat> Priscilla didn't, have her seatbelt on. And so upon impact, she was catapulted and um, there's a lot of just blunt force with the windshield. Um, I got home that morning, you know, you call the police in the hospital trying to get information, you know, she's gonna live. I know she's, she, this can't be real, disbelief. But nobody would tell me anything and the newspaper had said that morning, you know, two lifeline to Parkview. And so I decided I'd stay up the entire night, wait for the paper to come the next morning. And I remember I made every deal with myself, let her live, I'll change my life. To be honest, God, if you're real, let her live, I'll change my life. And uh, 2.47 a.m. about, you know, the white Jeep Cherokee, the paper guy comes comes down the, the road and throws the paper and I rip it open. and. Three top headline words were, 
you know, crash victim dies. And uh, yeah, my um, <clears throat> Priscilla Owens, uh, friend of mine, she uh, she lost her life on July 17th, July 18th, 2009. And, you know, Brady, the emotions you go through, right? To be honest, there's that first moment of when it's not registered and it's somewhat selfish, like your life's over, what's happening, this can't be real, the disbelief, but then you begin to even see the bigger scale of that. You know, you didn't, your choices didn't just affect you, but it forever affect, affects another family now. You know, Priscilla was, um, she was a daughter, she was a sister. Um, she was actually also a mother of, of, of two young children and, um, everything changes. And, you know, in that moment, you don't know, it just, it's, everything doesn't seem real. You know, it's, it's hard to put into words, uh, the anger, the disbelief, the frustration, the fear, uh, you know, the thinking that honestly, I should be the one that's dead because I knew the past and so many of the mistakes and so many of the, the dumb things that I had done and, and how many times I had, you know, been on the brink of death of overdoses and, and had a rope around my neck at 18 years old, climbing the ladder and ready to end it, you know, just so many, so many of these moments. Um, and now here I am at 23 and, and I'm still breathing. And now my choice is the stupidest act ever. Um, she's gone. I can't, uh, I can't imagine uh, what that must have been like uh, for you. Um, obviously for her family too, but I, I, I did read, I've done, you know, I've watched quite a few of your videos and stuff and, and I know there, you know, there was a conversation had there between you and her family that really, I think changed things maybe was a big building block and, you know, kind of where you're at now, maybe. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, a couple of days after the wreck, uh, her, her mother, Carolyn and her sister Olivia, they they kind of contacted you know our hometown. It's not huge, it's not small, but thirty thousand. I mean, it's not a big town, it's not a small town, but it's. I mean, it's everyone kind of can know everybody and and to an extent. And I had gotten wind that they wanted me to contact them. Now I had never met Carolyn or Olivia or her family again. Like I said, this was. Um, and they, I got wind that they want me to call them and have a conversation. And uh, what do you say? Like, what the heck is that conversation about to look like? How do you even begin to, you know, what do you say? I'm sorry. What do you like? What? There's not a word. There's there's nothing. And um, I call and Carolyn and Olivia answer, and you know, I'm weeping and they're emotional and they, they, they began to truthfully, I be probably the most courageous people that I've ever met in my life. They, they said, Nathan, we're angry, we're mad, we're sad. We don't really know what to feel. We don't think one dumb choice should destroy two families' lives. And, and we, Carolyn and Olivia, the mother and the sister, they, they just forgave me. And, and they said, we don't even know what that means or how, but we, you know, they picked love over hate. Um, and, uh, they didn't have to. They had every right. I and mean, there's a lot of people out there that have lost people um, and have every right to be angry and to demand all kinds of 
penalties and, and they, that, that's that's their right this family Olivia and Carolyn they just asked so they don't think one dumb choice should destroy two lives and they asked me not to let Priscilla pass away for nothing and try to make the world a better place basically um, now in that you know she had two younger kids at the time and now they're they're grown up and they're getting they're 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 adults and um, I've never had a conversation with them and one day maybe that'll happen there's a lot to the story behind that that I don't really know all the details exactly um, but they were young and, and now this is you know this is, the wreck happened almost 13 and a half years ago and so you know, I don't know what that conversation will ever be. Um, I know that I, I keep trying to live with purpose and trying to make an impact as many people that I can um, to, to not um, to not take their lives and, and to find healthy outlets and, and not find these counterfeit connections of substance abuse and addictions. And, um, you know, we've got three to five thousand, no, about five thousand, five to seven, actually. Uh, parents and students and people that, you know, have said that our talks and lectures have caused them to not commit suicide or to try to really confront themselves. And I don't know where all those, all those stories go after that moment, right? Because life brings us, but I do know that we've, we, we constantly get messages of, of, of making a difference. So, you know, I, I just every day cry to continue to live life in the moment and make a difference. But in yeah. that, sorry, in sorry, that, sorry, sorry, just, and then we can kind of, no, 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 please keep going. but it's important that just because the family forgave me, um, the state of Indiana didn't rightly so. And so at 23 years old, I was sentenced to 15 years of prison, sentenced to reckless homicide, vehicle manslaughter, um, and I remember when I went to that prison at 23, uh, it would have been easy for me, honestly, just to say, I, I'm, it's over, you know, you're 23, 15 years. My outdate was at the time, 2024. Um, I was 23 at the time. So me maybe getting released at 37 years old, 38 years old, um, being suicidal and battling, you know, so many different depressions and, and traumas and abuses when I was younger, the drugs, the alcohol, just the hell, right? Being arrested a couple of times before that. And now another family, another family's forever impacted by my dumb choice. Um, I remember a quote my dad used to tell me when I was a kid. And he used to always tell me, as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope in your heart. As long as you're breathing, yes, you can. And I just recited in that moment at 23 that it was time to confront who I needed to confront. It was me. And uh, I put change the world on the mirror of my little cell. And I just every single day um, continue to look at those words and uh, try to make my actions line up. I, I also stopped running what I would say from God. Um, to be honest, I, great, the word grace became more than a word in a book. A family forgave me that I didn't deserve. And so that, that, that began to be an underlying um, foundation of purpose and, and something bigger than me and wanting to, to be a voice of hope. Um, and that began a journey. That was 13 and a half years ago. And ever since that moment, um, I, I started living my life and you know, there's basically two kind of like these two pillars uh, and it's make 
let's make the next right choice and, and, and add value to people. I live my life with basically make the next right choice and let's add value. Let's not take, let's give. And in that breaks down into what I would call the five habits of my heart and my mind. And it's transparency, accountability, hard work, good choices and value in people. And so brother, I, I began at 23 in the middle of a prison cell, having to, to confront, fight and fail and look in the mirror of myself and, uh, began a journey of just the next choice, the next step. I always say you're not a product of your environment. You're a product of what you find the courage to do in the middle. Mm. Of and, and sometimes your environment is self-inflicting wounds, your choices, your own stupidity, your own mistakes. And sometimes your environment are things that you didn't ask or you didn't sign up for, but it's right there in front of you and you gotta deal with it. But regardless of where or why you're at, as long as you're breathing, you have the creative control to take a stand. Um, and you have the creative control uh, to really learn the gravity and the weight of your words and the ripple effect. Last, or some, some college classes in prison of psychology um, I got into some therapeutic community stuff, changed the way you think. Um, and then it came down to like, make your bed. You know, you're in prison for 15 years. Why the flip do I think about making my bed? But it wasn't about making the bed for them. It was about, will I do those small things and create um, what you feed grows and what you starve dies? And I, I did that, bro. Um, doors began to open because I always say you're not a product of your environment and that hard hard work and good choices creates opportunity even in the middle of your hell, um, even if it's your own fault, even if it's just life. And long story short, I started getting an opportunity to leave the prison about a year into my sentence and, and going across the state of Indiana um, into different venues and street clothes and, and being an advocate through like, you know, sobriety and mental health and also cognitive thinking and this program that was, was helping inmates not return to prison. And uh, in that, you know, the governor had a council, like a team in the substance abuse community um, and the work that we were doing, a lot of doors just opened. And I ended up walking out of the prison 11 and a half years early um, in 2013, I believe it was, um, with a, governor, a letter from the governor saying that I was effective and efficient and I was a more, uh, I, I would have probably a better impact in society than incarcerated. And, um, you know, you come to your hometown, now I'm 27, I'm four years sober, uh, have all these goals and aspirations. But every day I look at these words, change the world. And I would just literally one step closer, one step closer. And so I took that off and put it on my next house. And uh, you go home and everyone's like, Nathan, you're an idiot. You're never going to change. You're always going to be what you've always been. And that's that's valid. We, we, give, we give people at times a lot of evidence that our talk is cheap. And we can't be so easily offended when people don't believe um, because of the runway and the track record of where we were. Uh, and so I, I just began to say, you were right. People have the right to feel that way, but I'm not talking about it because I'm not doing this for external value. There was a why. A lot of times if, if we will face our pain, your why is birthed out of your pain. A lot of times we struggle to find our why because we don't want to step into our pain. Um, so I did, man, and I reached out to one public school in 2013, and it just, it just kind of went crazy from there, and doors opened, and opportunities, and uh, I've been able to now just 
go in a lot of different places and we've we've spoken in Tokyo and Guatemala, Zimbabwe and Brazil and Jordan and no, not in Jordan. We haven't spoken in Jordan yet. We go to Jordan a lot, but um next, <laughs> uh yeah, so uh it's just it's been neat. And another thing and then let's I'll I'll be ready to kind of that's my background. This is where we got, right? Um I also realized I needed to forgive my dad. If a family could forgive me for the loss, I mean if if Carolyn and Olivia, you know really Priscilla's mom's side uh, of the family. If they could forgive me for such a stupid act that can never bring their daughter back, how the hell could I hold on to such bitterness towards my father and so many other people, right? We let things live so rent-free in our head and the bitterness eats us up. Um, and so I had to let go of some stuff which was terrifying because I think a lot of times I think if we forgive, we're validating or justifying what they did to us. So a lot of times we don't want to forgive because we think in our own twisted thought process, if I forgive them, what I'm really saying is that it was okay what you did to me and I'm better now. And that's not, not it at all. Um, you need to let things go so you can live. And so you're not stuck on repeat, replay and rewash and recycle but you also can't forgive with unhealthy expectations just because you forgive somebody. My dad, you know, it wasn't like it was this like movie climatic moment where it was just all beautiful. And the story was amazing. Like, you know, people don't respond just because you forgive doesn't mean that they're going to respond or change, you know, it's not for them. So it's for you. So I did that, bro. And now I, I'm, like I said, 13 and a half years sober and just, constantly trying to to get people and this is my quote of my life right now i feel like i'm a, I'm a walking quote i think my wife makes fun of me because she can she can say all my little catch lines and phrases and stuff and she'll give me my whole little, my, my whole my whole thing um but i would rather confront confront fight and fail than settle for the comfort of just staying the same anymore um, and, and, and honestly, you plus God's a majority and you can do hard things, but you can't do it on your own. Mm. I can't see my blind spots and, and Brady, you can't see yours. We need each other, you know? And so when we can learn to do those things, it's not perfect. You know, it's 10 steps forward, six steps back, but it's progress. So yeah, man, that's a little of my journey. Um, thank, thank you so much for, for sharing that with all of us. And there's a, a few, there's a few people commenting and I won't get to all of them. Um, but just Dean Smeal watching in St. Paul, Alberta says, Nathan, this is so pow powerful stuff. So proud of you. Um, we have somebody else that says, he, Jackie says he literally is close to, from my hometown. I grew up in not naming for privacy, had bells light up. As soon as I heard Parkview, I froze. You're do you're both doing great work. Thank you uh, for all that you both do. Uh, Sean watching says, loving hearing this. So good, making it hard to leave. We'll have to watch this episode later. Uh, Trevor also saying, that's unreal. Amazing, man. The last one for now, we'll get to right here. Uh, is that, I don't want to butcher the name. Makey and Tommy Mackay. Uh, sorry, if I'm, please, maybe if you could, uh, what is that? Silla? Even, yeah break it down in syllables for me i i don't want to i because people you'd be surprised nate that people can't even say my name right they like brady brandy bradley happens to me all the time so i i feel you know i don't want to get it get it wrong micah we got here micah micah so uh saying wow incredible journey nathan and i'll just echo those words too um 
Wow. Um, lot for me to unpack there. I think if we go back, I just have a couple notes here. I want to go back to, you talk about that cute bear, right? And I, when I tell my story, I always say most of the time it starts off innocent as fun as a group of people who are never expecting any sort of catastrophic event to happen. No long-term addiction, no car crashes. It's just fun. And you know, nobody ever wakes up one day being like, Hey, I want to be an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever. The power of choice is so important. You talk about stealing, being kicked out of your house at 18. Same thing. I did the same stuff. Same thing happened to me and had a DUI in 2011. And I can tell you, you know, I'll be honest, everybody watching and listening. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that watch and listen to this that can say that how many times have, did I get behind the wheel of a car under the influence of drugs and alcohol? And not even really thinking about the impact that that the choice could have made. And, you know, it's uh, it's incredible that you're out here doing this and sharing your story. And I know it can't can't be easy. Maybe as the years have gone on, maybe it's gotten easier. I'm not sure. But you right change the world on your jail cell. You're transporting it from house to house. And first of all, I'll say you've done that. You know, I guarantee you've done that. You change one person's life, you've changed the world. And there's thousands of people that, you know, you've you've touched the lives of. And you talk about the why and the purpose. And that to me is what people, and I think you hit on this a little bit, where we're, we're lacking, where we don't ever find that why, that purpose because to get there, we have to go through our pain is kind of what you said there. And that just, it hit me so hard. And, you know, I'm doing similar things where I had to, you know, walk through my pain, sometimes crawl through it, you know, and, and sit in it sometimes to find my why. And there's a reason for all of us. And I agree. I, there's no doubt in my mind that this is the reason you're here. Selfishly, I have a question before I forget. I watch you on stage and you're so captivating, dude. Like you're a pro, like you are like so seasoned. I watch you. I'm like, wow, this guy's like dialed. What was it like in 2013, that first school that you went and talked to? So, um, and how did you feel? Because I, I want to take take back to 2013. You're released. Yeah. You know, you've been doing some of that work, yeah. but were you feeling like, were you pretty confident by that that point that your story had value or were you still in your own head being like questioning whether you should even be doing this and, and what was it like? Yeah. So for me, it was a process. So I was able to, like I said, incarcerated um, to like 2011 and 12, I was given opportunities to start leaving the prison in street clothes. I went to a different, some, some venues. And so um, I was able to, but even then, right, it was, the very first time that I ever spoke publicly, I think I was at a chapel actually in the prison and I was terrified. And then I had this moment. Um, honestly, it was, I would like just, I would, I would always feel like God was just like comforting my mind. And it was like, listen, listen, every time you speak, you're the, you're the actor, you're the author, you're the director, you're the editor, you're, you're the sound mixer. You literally, it's, it's a symphony and you get to take people on a journey take them on the journey. Don't be afraid of it. And so ever since that moment, when I, when I had this, like, you know, wait a minute, I, I, I want to try to create an experience because experiences change people. There's when we go through an experience, you, you may forget their name. Sometimes you may even forget some of the emotions in the moment, but you will remember 
I remember exactly where I was at when my mom and dad got divorced. I remember what I was wearing, the conversation, like experiences good or bad can change us and like have like tangible imprints on us. So when I first got started, it was how can we create an experience where it's not just a lecture or talk, but there it's the tempo, it's the pace, it's the ebbs, it's the flows. I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of ADD. So it's always, again, um, I'm, I'm a cup always half full anymore. So I think it's the greatest gift I ever have. The fact that I'm like, right. So, um, it, it was learning just to, really just do it afraid and who cares what anybody else thinks right like that's that's the courage that's that's the win when it comes to speaking publicly is like just own it regardless of what it looks like and yeah it was definitely morphing because when i first started i didn't i didn't really realize how much i was going to talk about mental health i didn't know how much i was going to really talk about suicide i didn't know how much i was going to talk about traumas um I didn't know how much I was going to actually like be motivating and giving like some, some practical tools to overcoming and, and trying to, to make people confront. I, I, I was just, I knew my wreck and there was proms and there were times when, when young people could make dumb choices and get behind the wheel. And so that was really when I first began, it was mostly just the story of, you know, a little bit of the brokenness for my family, the choices, the wreck, the accident. But then as you begin to find the courage to confront yourselves and to lean into the pain, that's when the why happens. Like diamonds. I always say pressure can bust pipes, but pressure can also make diamonds. It's the pressure that's the greatest tool that we have. So if if you can I always tell people to find their why and and to find that message you've got to be willing to go back into that pain and that's in that, in that place where there was tension and conflict internally, externally, because that's the place that something of great values being fortified. Um, and so, man, yeah, at the beginning it was trying to figure out how and what and when, and, and you know, but it's always been, you in that window i'm going to try to create an experience with just words but using body language and just passion because people real knows real and people feel you and they can the intensity that's it's important so that was the journey um yeah and dude i I don't even realize, I feel like, let me just say this, I realize it, but I can't even understand how we've gotten to where we've gotten to because I was just in Edmonton doing a global youth leadership conference and I was just over, like I said, we went to Tokyo. Like, so some of these opportunities um, that I don't take for granted, um, but I don't think I could even, I could even wrote the screenplay to get me to where I'm at. It's just literally being vulnerable and saying yes and not caring because vulnerability is what the world needs right now. So amen to that. Actually, I'm just going to plug my clothing line here quick. Yeah. I, just, I just dropped a, uh, 
Well, the one the one picture I wanted didn't load, but this one. New shirt this is from Pucks about vulnerability is strength. Also on the back one, vulnerability is where healing begins. Like for me, that's where my life changed when I was willing to get vulnerable. And it started with just one person and also being vulnerable with myself sometimes too, which is a whole other story. Um, man, I had, I had something there I wanted to ask you. This happens every single episode. Um, I, I lose my, my train of, my train of thought. <clears throat> um, but, oh yeah, I wanted to ask you, so you're 13 and a half years, you know, into this journey, you're doing incredible work and, I mean, the, the stuff you're doing is like, I love, like for me personally, someone's in recovery and, you know, seek constantly seeking someone to, you know, outside source of inspiration and a little bit of lift up also real, because that's again, what the world is missing right now. How has it been in these 13 years? Like it can't just all be sun, sunshine and roses because my recovery, the last three years, it's been three years, uh, just over three years I've been doing this and haven't touched, you know, I always say it sounds brutal, but three over three years, I haven't put a needle in my arm. And that sometimes people just need that picture to realize where I was. I think sometimes me for myself too, but it's been hard, dude. Like there's been days where I've wanted to give up. There's been days where I've had a ton of suicidal ideation. Sometimes I don't even know why there's been, it's not like I want to go back and use, but sometimes it just feels like I can't get out of bed or, uh, you know, so just what's it been like for you and how have you kind of manage that and have you noticed any sort of patterns in your life that you've been able to maybe get ahead of and is there sort of practices that you put into play to help you keep on this path yeah so for one, one thing is uh i have a good friend uh um, um, we did some podcasts before covid dr doug um he he You can learn. It's not getting rid of emotions and feelings. It's not that the fact that getting better doesn't mean like you're never going to have a thought of giving up on life again. Getting better doesn't mean that you're never going to, you know, have a, a burst of anger or this, this, this voice that says, you know, what's the big deal? But it's learning that he said it this way. You're a school bus driver and all of your little kids in the back are all these negative emotions and thoughts and they come up and they knock and it's realizing that I don't have to get you out of the bus and, and fight to white knuckle to remove you. I can just tell you to go sit your butt back down and that I, I, I don't have to be impulsive when, when I have this negative thought, it's okay. It's there. It, it's not like I can't be there. can't be there. It's no, wait a minute. I see you. I feel you. I know you. But I'm telling you just to go sit back down. You're you're not going to rob my next decision. Um, and so that's that's one thing that I've learned to do is is when when you're willing to get into your your pain, when you're willing to get into some of your negative coping skills and some of your your triggers and some of these things. Um, it's just like public speaking. The more you handle it the more familiar you are with it and the more that you can um, command the room, right? And so I, I think for me, learning to be very vulnerable and not being afraid of talking of the trauma and not being afraid of talking about when I had the rope around my neck or not being afraid of my accident. And even though the pain that's came from that and the lives of that, if I could change it a million times over, I've learned that I can talk about 
personally very uncomfortable, you know, uh, thoughts that if you allowed the thought to continue on, it could lead to destruction. But I'm not afraid of it anymore. It's almost like uh, uh, you're a sports, you play hockey, right? It's like in those big games when you've been there before, you have the the poise sometimes to, to not make the, the rookie mistakes and you're becoming a veteran in it. And I, I think if, if we have that perspective sometimes, even in those dark moments, um, it, it's making sure that you, you do have your, your horizontal relationships, those mental, those friends, that, that wife, that, that spouse, that buddy, that cousin, that grand, like those people that you really can talk um, and, and not get caught up on repeat and replay and rewash, but like, let's stay in the moment and let's pick up the phone. And, and I think for me, that's, that's been one of the, the most healing parts of this, of how I've navigated the, the rough moments and days. Um, me as a, as a public speaker and, and people always like, well, Nathan, where are you doing your therapy? Where, where's your, where's your, where's your group at? Where's your, I'm like, well, I stand in front of them every day Yeah, because what I give away is what I give to keep. And so again, how am I doing that? Because I'm in my pain. I'm in my story. My pain's not became my identity. It's part of my story, but I'm always talking about just the journey. And if we're, if we're talking about the journey, um, psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors, what do they do? They ask us questions. Why? Because I believe perseverance and, and uh, resiliency, it's part of you. It's part of me. We as humanity can do hard things, but it's activated by talking. And so long as we continue to talk, even though at times it's uncomfortable, feelings aren't final. Um, it's not about getting rid of the feeling. It's just not being impulsive on it as much as we can. And also then if I, I tell students and, and people, that maybe are struggling or they've relapsed or they're, you know, they're, they, 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 even when it comes to something like self-injury or self-harm or some of these destructive mentalities, you know, you just can't begin to have shame and guilt. You have to find those people um, that you can talk to and, and that you need to find people that really, they, of course they want to see you well, they want to see you make good choices. But when you can find those people that really have zero stock and you're not going to disappoint them, you're not going to, there's no guilt, there's no shame. It's not that they don't care if you're sober, if they don't care if you're drunk, but they really are like, this is your life. When you find those people that are just sounding boards, they, they literally aren't going to make you feel guilty or bad. They, they, they literally are your biggest cheerleader. They just want to cheer you on. No matter what you do, no matter how many times you mess up, you talk to me, I want to cheer you on. Over time, we will go farther and longer and longer and longer and, and, and we will continue. So for me, <clears throat> definitely has been all, all perfect and, 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 and great. I've, I've, um, I've just learned that when you're in moments, you My journey, uh, I think believing in something. I think suicide and sometimes the struggle, uh, we feel like we're just out here in the middle of the ocean of like loss in the sauce. But I do, when you begin to find this purpose and it's in the 12 steps, you know, higher, higher, higher than you that, you know, you can't do it on your own anymore. Um, that, that's something that 
has really been one of the baselines of mine. You know, there, there's something bigger than me out there. Um, and, you know, who, how many lives can we impact and, and help them see their story? So that's, that's been some of my journey. Yeah. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you do this. You probably want to rest. You've got to be speaking tomorrow. How many times? Um, three, I think twice. I don't, I'm in Verona, New York tomorrow, then Philadelphia, New York the next day. Then I got to go to Louisiana for a few days. You're all, you're all over the place. That's incredible. But oh, what I, part, what part of, where do you, where do you live at in Canada? Well, I'm originally from just outside of Vancouver, but now I'm in Ontario. So I'm actually in Muskoka, Ontario. It's just two hours north of Toronto. Okay. Really, it's one of the nicest parts of Canada, like Lake Country. All the a lot of celebrities and NHL players have places up here on the lakes. I don't live on the lake, live near a lake, but uh, by no means am I one of them. Uh, just a beautiful area. But if you ever come up here, man, I would love to come watch you speak or to get lunch or do something, man. Bro, like, I'm telling you, man, we're, um, so I just was in Edmonton and I go back to Castlegar, which is north of Spokane. Nice. Okay, I know um, Castlegar. Yeah, I know yeah, Castlegar. It was my first time ever going to Canada four years, and I go back there at the end of the end of this month. I go back there on like May twenty fifth or sixth. But um, uh, hey, if you want to make a road trip, I mean, and it's I, Canada's so big, though. Golly, you guys are that's, that's like yeah, it's thirty three hours away. You know? Yeah, I'll, I'll get in my car. I'll meet you there exactly when you're there. You know, yeah. like that's like months well, away. My wife and I, we, we really are going to plan on hopefully in August making a road trip. So we so we we sold everything. When COVID happened, we live full time on the road now. We we live in a coach, a bus, we uh, an RV. We we tour, we travel as a family together. And- this is you're living my dream, dude. I've been talking about that for like a well, year. Do it, man. My girlfriend and like we're like, yeah, hey, maybe we should just get an RV and just hit the road. And uh, well, that's it, dude. Like you're making a huge difference. And I want to before I let you go, I want to kind of segue because this is something that I haven't talked about a lot on this podcast. I think if you. I think it's episode 21. My podcast used to be called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, but it was not that user-friendly of a name, so I changed it to Hockey to Back. So we did like 70 episodes of Hockey to Heroin, and now we're on 123 of this. But if you went back to episode 21, I think, be the one with Andy Sutton for anybody that wants to go back and check. It's early on. I I read a, a couple things in my um, journal from my time in jail, and... Like, I haven't talked about this a lot. And I think this is, you know, because some people, they don't want to hear it. And I get it and all that. And to be honest with you, I haven't, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know. But if you go back, you'll read in, or you hear me read in this journal and you'll talk, and it'll talk about how when I was in jail, like, dude, I, I had been there two years, got out for a bit, went back for a year. And like, you know, how, you know, the hopelessness just being like done. Right. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but dude, I hit, I legitimately hit my knees and, you know, I, I started praying. I, I started to, you know, see the chaplain in jail. Uh, I'd read, I would wake up and do my daily readings and my studies. I did every single Bible study, which was like from three, four different ministries while I was in there, did them all and found this relationship with, you know, and people have a different understanding, but just what you're saying, a, a higher power greater than myself. And literally you know, it. I believe that that did change my life. Now, I didn't get out and things didn't just happen to be great. <clears throat> but there was a moment of clarity that I've talked about briefly and I, I touch on it. But there was this time, and I'm going to get in more in the details. I'm going to share this with you and then, then I'll let you go. I know you're busy. There was a time I was about two weeks in recovery, let's say. And, you know, opiates were my thing. So you can imagine what the, you know, the withdrawals and all that. Not great. And 
I had come out of like 10 years of like, you know, doing crime and doing all the different things to support my addiction, like things again, that I never thought I would do. You know, you go from being a hockey player to homeless and doing all these crimes anyways. It was so ingrained into me that like, even though at two weeks sober, I had no money, I had nothing. I was on welfare, but in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to, I got to go do something to make money or whatever. I was, I think I was going to go steal a car to be honest and then go do something like some stupid idea that, you know, you think is a good idea at the time. And I went and I left this place I was staying at and, um, and I started to, to walk down this road and it was like pitch black. And all of a sudden it was just like this voice. I swear to God, dude, like there was a voice and it was like, I don't know if it was like my con, like it was weird. It was like out loud. It was like, you're really going to go steal a car right now. Like, who are you? You're so much better than this. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, and I kept walking and I'm like, oh, shut up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't know my life. I'm talking, I'm literally yelling out. Like, if anyone saw me, I would have been committed to the psych ward again for this moment. But it was like, just turn around and go home and your life will be greater than you could have ever imagined. And that's what I did for the first time in my life. I lift, listened to that, to God, to that voice, to whatever the hell it was with zero plan, with zero money, zero friends, whatever. And then two weeks later, I started this podcast and, you know, people that follow along know that I'm coaching again and speaking and, you know, have this foundation and different things. But I'm telling you, I know you, we talked, you talk a little bit about it, but the, the power of having a, a higher power and, and some people call it God, some people in recovery um, have a little bit more difficult time, but I would love to hear more about you. Cause I know you have uh, like a ministry, right? And, and you do more than just speaking. Is that right? Yeah. So this is kind of the, uh, in the, in the public school space and some of the, the venues, the, the word, like the secular stuff that I do, you know, because of some of the rules in, the, in America and I get it. Um, a lot of people don't understand that one of the biggest baselines is, has been the faith and the belief and, and God's did some amazing things in my life and that it's that purpose. And so, yeah, we, besides just going into the public schools and, and just different, some corporate stuff and just different summits and mental health nights and community nights. Um, we, we also, you know, have a big tent. Yeah, we do. We take a, take a big tent around and, and uh, some different venues and, um, and just to me, I can't, I can't, um, I can't change the reality of my story. And here, here's what's crazy. And I'll, I'll end you with this. And again, this was, you can't make this up. You know, my, my dad, you know, he was a, he was like a pastor. And, and when the divorce happened, I ran from God. You call me a hater of God. Um, miss, miss all of that, right? Like just out there ripping and running and, uh, the wreck happens. And his family forgives me, which doesn't make any natural sense. And I knew like the word grace. And so this family, you know, grace became more than just a word that I would read in a book. Like this family legitimately, Carolyn and Olivia for, forgave me. Like, like no strings attached. Genuinely went to bat, didn't want me to go to prison. Um, I'm, I'm glad I went because I probably wouldn't be where I'm at today, right? Um, um, and I, I remember I called my mom. And this is her, what her family asked me is, again, they say, no, don't let our daughter pass away for nothing. So Priscilla Owens, that name meant a lot to me um, because I really, every at the end of everything that I do, even though even certain places that I don't talk necessarily about the wreck anymore because of different subject matter and we've kind of broadened our scope of talking points, 
it was always like I didn't want Priscilla to pass away for nothing, you know, this family that, that found this crazy compassion to step into the story. So I as I'm going to prison, I'm internalizing like her name just meant a lot. Like I was trying to I'm going one of my driving factors is because I've been a liar and a cheat my whole lives and I didn't keep my word for nothing. This is something that I'm going to keep my word on, you know. And so I told my mom, like, mom, I, I'm done running. Um, I, I know. God didn't do any of that. Like that was my dumb choices. It was my just stupidity. And, and, and regardless, it was my fault. Um, but he, I always say he intersected my story and he stepped into my story and here's the true story, brother. And I can't, this is why I share it. Cause it's part of the, it's a real story. As I'm like, mom, will you send me a Bible for the first time? Like a real one, like a leather one here. I am in prison for some 15 years. Um, I put change the world on the mirror. I'm, I'm not going to let Priscilla Owens die for nothing. My mom sends me this Bible. And on the introduction page, there was a poem written by a hymn writer from the 1800s. <clears throat> the editor of this publication of this, this certain Bible, for some reason, he picked this poem. But my mom randomly sends me this Bible. And on the introduction page, there is a poem. And it said, give me your word, law and love combining till night vanishes in the eternal day. Precept and promise, law and love combining. And it was written by a hymn writer in the 1800s by the name of Priscilla Owens. Wow. The exact name of the woman. I mean, I, I and come to find out, bro. She was a school teacher in the 1800s, and she wrote this poem because she, her heart was breaking for the youth in her generation. Mm -hmm. And so this poem, I'm in prison for 15 years, my wreck, uh, I, I would say God stepped into my story. And here I get this book, and it has literally the name of Priscilla Owens, of the lady who I'm different people, but the same name. And it's just a crazy story. And so I always say, you know, I don't, I don't whack people. I just live my life. Right. I, I, I think that my light and my, who I am can hopefully impact people and they can find, they can find who, who, who they are in the journey. But that is an underlying tone of the end of the day. Um, I think that for me, that that voice that said, "What are you doing? Go back to your house and your life is hopefully." Man, it's you're you're an inspiration, bro. Don't I want you to ever minimize what God's doing? Like, honestly, what God's doing in your life, what you're doing, facing yourself and doing in the schools and continuing to chop that tree because that tree's gonna keep falling down. And people need people need people need people to start being vulnerable because this world out here with the fentanyl that we're facing. that way you know you so. cut out there for a sec can you say that last part again you just cut out for a sec there i, I don't know what happened people need hope and it's it's and it goes back to that line that it's okay to not be okay but it's not okay to let our friends stay that way and it's okay to not be okay but you need to verbalize and to speak up and you need to let people know and you got to punch fear in the face it's not easy being vulnerable, but you can do hard things. And and the more that you just fearlessly word puke and word vomit, be vulnerable and not give a rip about what anybody else thinks, man, life begins to find the right rhythm. 
in, in that right symphony. Um, and sometimes you hit the wrong note and that's okay. You just keep playing. The band's got to keep playing on. So I dude, Thank honestly, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your time here tonight. Thank you for all that you've done and continue to do and will do. I'm sure until you take your last breath, everyone, make sure you go check out, check them out on Instagram at Nathan Harmon one, Nathan Harmon.org. Your life speaks dot org and hopefully we'll see you up here in canada sometime in the near future drive that uh get on the road man tell the wife you're coming to canada yeah right hey later on man anytime you want to circle back around and do another episode we can talk about some different subject matter i'm always available yeah man i love your work bro thank you so much man keep it up and i'm very much looking forward to that next episode as i'm sure everyone else is too okay thanks buddy we'll talk soon All right, that's Nathan Harmon. Wow, what a great, great conversation. I'm so glad, too, that he's willing to come back for a part two, part three, part four. Who knows? Somebody that I look up to a lot, admire a lot, more than my words will will allow me to present, if you will. He said it multiple times on the show tonight about vulnerability and that's really been the key in my life and it is uncomfortable it is hard but you gotta face your pain we have to if we want to move forward i'm a firm believer nathan said it i'm gonna say it again i like what he said go punch fear right in the face i like that like that a lot a lot of great takeaways uh, from this episode quick message or quick video there's no message but just a quick video this episode as always brought to you by the great people at true temper hockey I do not miss. Hey, started from Cali and now I got bitches in Europe. Thank you to True Temper Hockey for all their love and support over the last couple of years. Couple comments coming in. We got Micah saying, hats off to you, Brady, for creating this platform for others to share their stories and for others to listen. Thanks so much very inspiring thank you so much for your kind words michelle and tom minor i'm sure watching together love you guys so much what a very moving and emotional story keep moving forward telling everyone how you changed your life for the better that one's for nathan incredible story tragic but you know i know how hard it is when you're in a jail cell thinking your life is over and you know his Story obviously different than mine, but he made that choice. One, he made the choice to get in the car and obviously tragedy struck, but then he made the choice to take his pain and turn it into purpose. He made the choice to change the world. The power of our choices. So I'm gonna pose this question to you. What choice can you make 
either tonight or tomorrow, whenever you're watching, listening to this, what choice can you make right now that could help change the world? And if that sounds too big, too far off, what can you do to change one person's life? I'm gonna challenge everybody who watches and listens to this. Get out there in your community, do something kind for somebody, have a conversation with somebody that you typically maybe wouldn't talk to. Be of service. We didn't talk a whole lot about that, but as Dean Smeal is saying, Brady, I've watched a lot of your podcasts, as you know, but brother, this one has been the best. We need him back. 100%. Dino, what's up, buddy? Top bunk. Just want to send uh, my love, my condolences uh, to your daughter, daughter, Kaya. Recently lost a friend in a tragic avalanche accident. have a message from Kaya here actually come back to that after what else puck support pucksupport.com use promo code you guessed it vulnerable promo code vulnerable going to save you 15% off. Uh, I showed it earlier. We don't have the muscle shirt here. I wanted to be able to show that one um, because it didn't upload. But the new vulnerability line from Puck Support, at Puck Support on social media, pucksupport.com. See if I can pull up this picture, maybe just on my phone and show everyone quickly. If you have me on social media, you've probably seen it. Vulnerability is strength. Thank you to everyone who's ordered from Puck Support. Well over a thousand orders. What started with an idea in a basement has quickly become almost a mainstay in the hockey community. And that's all in due part to everyone who wears Puck Support. A lot of the messages like mental health over hockey. Vulnerability is strength. Puck addiction it's okay to be not okay. All of these clothing items really help ignite some extremely challenging conversations, but conversations that are at, at a time where we more now more than ever need to start embracing the topics of mental health, substance abuse, substance misuse, addiction, overdose, suicide, trauma, and all that comes with it. Parents, talk to your kids. Be open to, you know, Nathan goes around to schools. I've started to hit the school circuit a little bit, but typically the schools don't want to hear it. Too often in the past, there's been this narrative that is, if we talk about it, we create more of it. But it's quite the opposite. If we talk about these things, we create less addiction, less overdose, less suicide, less pain. It can affect anyone and everyone, sometimes when we least expect it. 
but giving the giving people the tools allowing people to know that it's okay to be vulnerable to ask for help to talk about how they're feeling to cry if they need to cry it's so 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 important anywhere across canada right now i am open to do speaking events if you want or feel that my story could help your community or your business or your hockey team or whatever it may be please send an email to jenna at pucksupport.com jenna at pucksupport.com she will organize everything because that is not one of my strengths to say the least we all have our strengths organization is not one of mine anything else on the list i think that's it we're back next monday i believe with reed low retired nhl tough guy He's going to come on, share a little bit about his journey, what he's up to now. Really excited to get Reed on here. We're going to have Tanner Mortensen on the show as well. We got Ryan Bugsy Malone, retired NHL player in the queue. Tyler Kennedy, retired Stanley Cup champ in the queue. Working on Kevin Bieksa. He started following me. He's busy with the playoffs. But we're working on Kevin Bieksa. If there's anybody that you would like to see on my podcast, let me know and I'll try to make it happen. If you could be so kind to press the like, share, turn on notifications. If you're watching on YouTube, if you could please go to, or sorry, if you're watching on Facebook, if you could please go over to the YouTube channel, start watching over there. It would also be greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. Share it with your friends, tell your friends about it. This is how much of a marketing budget I have. Zero, zero. So thank you to everyone who's told a friend or shared it on your page. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Before I sign off here, I just want to again say that this episode is in memory of my late friend, Justin Monez. been a lot of different thoughts crossing through my mind in this last week if you're in recovery or if you're struggling if you're in recovery stay stay here hold on for one more minute one more hour one more day if you're struggling reach out to your support networks if you don't have a support network make it a high 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 priority a person or a group of people that you can share with, be vulnerable with, and rely upon when and if you need them. If you're currently in addiction, 
this is a sign right now. My voice is a sign. Now is the time to take back your life. You are so much stronger than you could ever imagine. Vulnerability is strength. Asking for help is strength. Until next time, be kind to one another. Get out there, be of service. I'm challenging you. Go do something kind for somebody. Find gratitude. And as always, have a great day if you so choose. Was my life rookie of the year? Swift as a Bronco, laced up in my gear. Past the pain when insane, yearning for that buzz. Twelve year journey through the depths of hell. Criminal fentanyl, I struggled, I fell. Abused, confused as a shadow of who I once was. Can't sleep rest this week. Don't go near the river. Need to get my life here back on track. Used to toe jack like Wayne Gretzky, but now I'm toe tapping homeless on Hastings. Intravenous drugs weren't in the gang notes. The wrong kind of high to ride the lightning. Sideboard ignoring hot and frying. Hockey to hell and back was my recovery road. Can't sleep restless week. Up all night, a dread on the beat. I need to get my life here back on track. Emotions change, I can't stop crying. Simple reflection, no sense lying. My inspiration's hard in a killing bag. Mental health over hockey. Gotta get people talking. Ignite the chain that will give me this real but the soul is lost. Changes from my former convictions. Now I live for the fuck addiction. I got honest to honor the ones we lost. Finally doing what I'm meant to do. Strap on your blade, you can follow me too. Give me your ear to hockey and healing back podcast. Can't sleep restless week. Up all night, I dread on feet. I need to get my life here back on track. Emotions strained, I can't stop crying. Except my reflection, no sense lying. My inspiration's hockey to kill and back.